Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Okay. Hello, everybody. How are you out there? This is The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy in Los Angeles, California. It's nice to be with you. I have on the program today Pedro Mairao, author of a novel called The Woman from Uruguay, available in North America from Bloomsbury. It was translated by Jennifer Croft. Pedro Mairao is an Argentine author. He's from Buenos Aires originally. And his other books include One Night with Sabrina Love, The Year of the Desert, and The Missing Year of Juan Salvatierra. Had a great time talking with him. That conversation is coming up in just a bit. Today's episode is made possible by Northwestern University Press and their new release, The Monster I Am Today, Leontine Price, and A Life in Verse by Kevin Simmons. Leontine Price remains one of the 20th century's most revered opera singers and, notably, the first African-American to achieve such international acclaim. In movements uh, encompassing poetry and prose, writer and musician Kevin Simmons explores Price as an icon, as a diva, a woman, a patriot, and he also explores himself as a fan, a budding singer, and a gay man. The book's passages move polyphonically through the contested spaces of black identity, black sound, black sensibility, and black history. That's The Monster I Am Today, Leontine Price and A Life in Verse by Kevin Simmons. Listeners of this program receive a 20% discount on the book. Just use the promo code PPL20. This offer is available at nupress.northwestern.edu. Get yourself a copy of The Monster I Am Today by Kevin Simmons and get 20% off at nupress.northwestern.edu. Just use the promo code PPL20. One more time, The Monster I Am Today by Kevin Simmons, nupress.northwestern.edu, and use the promo code PPL20. Two zero and get 20% off of that and any other title. So Pedro Maral is my guest. His new novel, The Woman from Uruguay, available now in translation from Bloomsbury, a lovely translation by Jennifer Croft, and I'm very pleased 
to share this conversation with you right now. Here he is, folks. This is Pedro Mairao, and his new novel, One More Time, is called The Woman from Uruguay. And some of my friends, writers, said that to me. Um, you did this easily. Um, and it's true because I wrote it in, a, in about two or three months. But uh, that style, that that kind of um, sympathy or empathy you're talking about and the way the, 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 the character speaks in a very intimate way, that took me about 10 years of doing that kind of uh, writing in some columns, in, in blogs, um, for journalism, uh, all over the place. I, I was, I was trying to write like that for a long time. Uh, so that took for about 10 years, but I can't, I, I cannot say that I was, I was trying to write that novel for about 10 years, but, I, but yes, I can say that it took me 10 years to develop that, that tone in a way, the intimate tone of, of the book. Uh, and then when, when it, when it came out, uh, when, in, when I wrote it, when I sat down and I wrote it, that was, that was, uh, it was easy, but it was very nice to do. Uh, it was, uh, it flew, um, it, 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 it flowed. I don't know what, what the verb is there. That's right. It, it, it flowed. Um, and, uh, it was, it was very, very gratifying to write it. Uh, even if, if there's some hard moments or, or some, some dark parts, but it was very nice to write that. I felt very good writing it. Okay, well that that comes across in in the read, and it makes sense that it would have been that way. I want to hear you talk a little bit more about the voice uh, of the narrator and the tone, as you said, that you were working towards for the better part of a decade in other literary forms. I think you were saying in journalism and and things like that. I mean, this is is this your? I mean. Obviously, we're all writing in our own voice, one way or the other. But when you talk about like the intimacy of the tone, uh, like what does that exactly does that mean, or how did how did you have to um, struggle to get there, and what challenges did you have to overcome, or is it is it even something that you can articulate? I, I know a lot of this stuff is intuitive, and you just sort of get to a place where you can kind of feel like it's right. But I'm just I'm just curious to know what it was that you were um, struggling through over those 10 years to get to the point where you had the voice and the tone where you wanted it? I think there, there are several things. First, um, a certain kind of anti-hero tone. Um, the, the loser, in a way, um, the, vulner the, the vulnerable part of, of the character, I mean. Um, that's something I, I was trying to to show and that I, I realized that, that, that made and, and produced some empathy or some sympathy with, with readers. When you show the weak side of a character, then there was this kind of bringing a notch down the literary uh, tone Trying to be more, um, trying to get nearer to the spoken word in a way, or 
I don't know if, if, if the word colloquial exists in English. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, a, a more colloquial tone. That that was some something that I practiced. I practiced in blogs, and um, for about for about a decade, I found it very interesting when when people in blogs wrote about their everyday life, and they did it in a very loose way, um, not trying to make li- literature, and that was a, a better writing. Um, and uh, I tried to do that. Without losing some sharpness in in the um, selection of words, without uh, losing some poetry, um, I mean, I I it, I wanted to the the tone to be like somebody speaking to you or confessing something to you, but at the same way, it's a uh, at the same time, it's a writer who's doing this. So he can also be, he can be colloquial, but he can be very specific with the words uh, he is using. And he is confessing this to his wife, in a way. The whole novel is a long confession to his wife about the stupid thing he did that day in in, in Uruguay. So I wanted to, to have that intimacy. I wanted to have uh, the spoken quality um, the confession and the anti-hero thing, and the poetry thing when it when it was necessary for the moment of of the narrative. That that's kind of the the different things that that make up or compose the the tone of the novel. I think. No, that's a great. I mean, that's a better answer than I was expecting. You you, <laughs> you must have been asked that question before, but I, I uh, that covers it. And I. I want to give listeners who have not had a chance to read yet just kind of a broad overview. This is a novel about a day in the life of a married guy who commits adultery, essentially. He goes to Montevideo for a day to collect some money and to meet uh, a a young woman, a younger woman who he is interested in and who he has had like a bit of a fling with before. Is that a a decent enough thumbnail? and of course, things go wrong. Yes, and of course, <laughs> things go wrong. So that's the story that you're telling. It's it takes place all in one day, and uh, I want to ask you a bit more about this anti-hero voice because, again, you know, when it's done well and it's delivered in the way that you deliver it, it tricks you into thinking that it's simple. <laughs> but you know, creating a character like this who is doing something. Uh, untoward, you know, generally speaking, I think, uh, I think it's widely agreed upon that committing adultery is not ideal behavior from a middle-aged man. Uh, but to make that character likable and sympathetic, you talked about showing the weaker side or the broken side of a character and how that can help readers to connect. And I get that. I think that's true. I think that sometimes writers resist doing that because they're scared that it will make the character unlikable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, <laughs> and this is where I think craft and skill come into play. I think if you make the character too weak or too broken or too uncool, mm-hmm. readers will recoil. It's a bit of a balancing act, is it not? Yes, and it, it's a very thin line. 
and of course you don't uh, you cannot um, direct the the way people read it so I know uh, as a fact that some people don't find any empathy and just think that the character is uh, is, is stupid um, and I, I agree with that I mean um, the, my character Lucas um, is uh, going through a, a conf- some confusion. He's 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 blaming his family. I mean, his his wife and his son for all his fr- frustration. Um, when it's 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 just that he's not working. He's he's not writing. He's not focused. Uh, so he's blaming his family for for that, and and um, that's really a side of him that it's not likable at, at all. And uh, when I when I say that the character has has some of my some some of me I mean some some of my things, uh, I always have to make clear that um, I love my 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 kids, for example. <laughs> I love my 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 daughter. Um, so maybe I, I took some of my my um, things my kind of my shadow and I exaggerated I took it a bit far uh, a bit farther um, it is a very delicate line but I think that that that's what make characters human I I like very much how Italians do that in in, in cinema for example um, characters are weak uh, but they are likable at the same time um, if you go too far with 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 a weakness, it's true. You you can you can just uh, leave a lot of uh, readers behind. Um, and I, I mean, I have to say that uh, it is a guy, white male, uh, heterosexual, uh, being unfaithful. It's uh, non sympathetic at all. With with you know, uh, we are nowadays um, very sensible about that. Um, about about um, uh, men and their desires, uh, so uh, I think that it it was a risk. But I really thought that it was if I was truly sincere with with a character. I mean, if I if I managed to go to that place that it's a bit wrong, but at the same time. It's believable and it's true, then um, the book would save itself in a way. Um, that's what I thought, and I'm really sorry that yeah, some some people read start reading it and they say oh, I I can't um, stand the character, this this macho uh, macho guy going to be unfaithful with a younger woman, you know? um, and uh, well. Um, that's that's uh, a shame. I mean, uh, it's it's a pity that I lose uh, a reader there. But uh, I only hope that they could just continue reading and and see that, yeah, he's an asshole, uh, and his his whole life falls apart. Uh, but I think he gets his um, his lesson. I mean, he. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not like a, a story of triumph, you know. And no, no. I think too. Uh, a couple of things come to mind. First is that I think Lucas is self-aware enough to recognize at least some of his own 
failings. This is not a character who's a sociopath, uh, at least no. not, not in my reading. You know, this is a guy who's wrestling with himself and who understands, I think, quite well that he's crossing lines and that, he, you know, he has uh, a large portion of the responsibility for the situation that he's in in his life. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and this is has more to do with you and your creative decisions as a writer, and I think it's really the key to why the novel works so well, um, or why it works so well for me, is the decision to make it a confession and to have Lucas, the narrator, throughout the course of the novel, addressing his ex-wife, his you know eventual mm-hmm. ex-wife, in the second person, you. He's writing to her. And he's trying yeah. to explain to her and come clean, and that to me was a brilliant creative move. I haven't seen that done. I'm sure it's you know I'm sure there's probably a precedent somewhere, but in I couldn't think of anything in recent memory where you have somebody kind of confessing to someone off camera, uh, for lack of yeah. a better way of putting <laughs> it. And I think that humanizes it, and I think that also puts the book. Um, onto firmer moral ground or something. Uh, I don't know. You could likely speak to it better than I could, but I found that to be um, a really big part of why the book is so effective. I, I like the, 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 what you say about off-the-record confession because because um, I wrote the book, and I'm not sure myself if, if it's a confession that it is really said aloud by by the by the character or he's thinking about confessing that is it is is the whole book something that he's going to show um catalina or or not i mean in what in what instance um and and we should just say i just want to interrupt just so people don't get lost catalina being his wife slash eventual ex-wife exactly who i mean is 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 he really reading that aloud to to her or or is it something that he's thinking um i think that at at some moment when i was writing it um he was really he the character said well i'm writing this to you that kind of of thing and i scratched that out because uh, it made it too um too real in a way too physical i wanted i wanted this confession to to be in some kind of limbo uh and and uh kind of floating nowhere in a way just in the book so you you can you cannot really tell if he says he said that to her or, or what um and um yeah i i i think that he he's um he's wrong in in he he's wrong and you can tell he's wrong and he's frustrated and he's angry um and um, he's broken, emotionally broken in a way, and um, he's trying to get a grasp of, of of life, of trying to feel alive again. And uh, he thinks that by um, by meeting m- meeting this this Uruguayan uh, woman, uh, he's going to be again in a way. Um, uh, alive and and of course that's that's a complete it's a complete it's it's completely wrong and and things turn out in in a different way and that's where things get interested i think because 
always the distance between what the character imagines that is going to happen and what really happens is, you know, this kind of Quixote thing, no, that um, the character thinks that he's going to he's going to fight uh, wind uh, giants and their windmills. Uh, that that's always very interesting. The distance between um, imagination and and reality is always wonderful. I I find it in a, in some ways uh, funny, in a tragical way. Yeah. Um, the other day I saw a video of a friend of mine uh, playing soccer, and um, somebody made a pass to him with, a, and he ran after the ball. And you could see because I know him, you could see what he wanted to do. <laughs> what he wanted to do you could see perfect that i mean and and what he managed to do was pathetical um <laughs> and uh he's in his 50s like me and he he's heavy and um the distance between what what he desired and what finally happened was hilarious um because it's a mini tragedy that we all go through all the time um, and I think that the, this novel is a bit about that. I mean, a guy thinks that he's going to do all these things um, in, the, in the other side, in, in, in Uruguay, for the day. Um, and it, go, it, it all goes wrong. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think, too, what comes to mind for me or what word comes to mind is salvation. You have a character who is going to Montevideo, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to collect some money that has been owed to him for writing mm -hmm. projects. And this money is, in his mind, his salvation because it's going to buy him time. It's going to pacify his wife. It's going to um, give him time to write his next book. You know, it's all these things, all the meanings that we imbue money with. But I think at the bottom of it, it's about happiness and salvation. This this money is going to make things right. Uh, likewise, there is the promise of this young woman 
you know, she is a, a form of salvation. She's going to make him feel alive in ways that he has not felt in a long time. Um, perhaps she and he could forge a relationship that becomes the ideal relationship that people tend to dream about, you know, the, the quote unquote perfect relationship. Who knows what kinds of extended meanings he might extrapolate, you know, from this one little fling that they had at that uh, writing festival. You know, there's all the different ways that fantasy plays on the human mind. But I think of salvation and I think of, I guess, uh, happiness along with it. And the ways in which human beings, myself most definitely included, uh, how we delude ourselves into thinking that th like external things are going to make us happy in some grand or permanent way. And it's always, in the end, a kind of farce. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it works. It works like a dream. Um it works, it works like a dream in, in, in everybody's mind, um, that kind of ideal thing. Um, and, and some guys just go on with it. I'm, I'm talking about um, um, guys because, I mean, women also sometimes do that. But um, I, I see some, some, some people my age uh, that they start again with a younger woman and you can see that they send their pictures in in the Caribbean, in a in a white, in a beautiful blue beach, and uh, you kind of look at it and said he, he's starting all all again. He he has no idea um, that everything starts again, um, and he's gonna crash another plane. You you you, you just <laughs> you can see that. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a stupid side that that we have. I I wish really, Brad, that I. I want to write about maybe it's not that interesting, but I, I want to write about um, how how this goes on. I mean, in in a character that that um, that goes on with the marriage um, after the, his fifties and and um, and how that works and how a character makes that work. I mean, when I wrote that book, the there was no light. Uh, there was no light at the end of the tunnel, as they say, uh, with with the idea of marriage. It was complete. Um, um, no, I don't know. There was no oxygen there. Um, it's really it's it's a it's a bitter book uh, in, from the perspective of marriage. I think. Um, I wish I could write someday of uh, of uh, something more positive about about a couple and how they work together and manage to go uh, to 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 get along and 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 raise kids and maybe it's not that interesting um but i i i wish i could do, i could do that because um it's 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 the story of a failure i think um he he doesn't get what he wants he gets something else as it usually happens, um, but he's quite um, broken at the end too. He's he's raising his kid, but um, he's divorced, and um, I don't want to spoil the book because it's not about that exactly. But um, I wish I could I could kind of um, write um, not the second part, but the other side of of, of marriage in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think. 
I mean, I think one of the things that I think that I found sympathetic in the book and that I always turn to literature for, whether it's a story of, uh, you know, uh, adultery or marriage or relationships or it's just whatever it is, you know, it could be a, a war story. It could be anything. But great literature says the unspoken um, mm-hmm. and says it well and maybe better than we ourselves could could say it. And I think especially, at least from my observation and my experience, is that there's so much mystery in an intimate relationship and there's so much secrecy and private shame. Um, I think maybe in a healthy relationship, there's a good amount of dialogue and openness. That seems to be logical. But it isn't often that people will confess their doubt uh, or their insecurity or will Mm. express that like, hey, you know, my marriage right now... um, I don't know, I feel like I'm failing at it or screwing it up or it's not going well. People don't say those sorts of things, even to their close friends usually, especially guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, too, there's this pressure to, you know, from a performative standpoint, to act like everything's fine. Human beings have a lot of that. It's born of, like, a competitive impulse, I think, and also just, uh, you know, a desire to be seen in a certain way. Uh, I think, too, you know, like to narrow this down to a uh, writerly perspective, I don't think there's a writer alive who is married with children who hasn't. And I think everybody does this, right? You entertain alternate destinies, you know, alternate paths exactly. that you that you could yeah. have taken. Like, wow, if I didn't have kids right now, I could be in, uh, you know, on the other side of the world in, in a studio apartment, just like painting watercolors and writing poetry or whatever it is, you know, and I could be completely, <laughs> completely devoted to my art without any kind of encumbrance or responsibility. And um, it's very human, I think, to to do that. But I don't think it gets talked about much because there's shame around it. And so yeah. a book like this ventilates that a little bit and shows us how someone does that. And I think there's value in that. I mean, I think that people who might bristle at these imperfections and just completely condemn a character like this, I don't know. I I question that a little bit. It's like, really? Like, maybe maybe they're a lot better uh, human beings, <laughs> you know? But I feel like most people I know, you know, if they might not do exactly what this guy does, but I think they share a lot of human qualities with him one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, what what I wanted to do is uh, to shake this character and make him realize that what what he had and what he was losing. I I I wouldn't want to be in in a studio painting watercolors. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I really I really um, thank my 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 kids for completely um, destroying my my life what 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 my life was before i mean i like i like that that destruction i i think that um i i would be um just um i don't know um neurotic guy uh with with my 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 uh, records and i i would be like if i if i didn't have kids i i, I would be very neurotic and unhappy but this is I'm talking about myself. Um, I think that my kids um, completely, completely put upside down my life, and uh, and and that's good. I mean, in a creative way too, it's very good. 
they they break everything you had before and you have to start there building something else uh, and i think that my character lucas doesn't realize that until the end um, he he blames uh, the idea of having having a kid for not 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 being able to ride etc and um and he realizes i think at the end maybe he realizes that um that it's good to be a father and, and to take care of a kid uh, and to be scared about it because nobody tells you about that about how afraid you are when you have kids um that something can can happen to them um that's paralyzing so um I don't know. I I I wish that there's a glimpse of that in the book um, of somebody realizing uh, at the end what he's what he's losing in a way, the idea of of raising kids and 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 kind of um, having a family. What I think too, or what I notice in myself, is uh, like it's almost embarrassing how wildly I can swing uh, in the privacy of my own mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, it's at the point now where I've experienced, I've witnessed it enough that I'm getting better at just being curious about it when it happens instead of maybe becoming it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I'll give you an example. It could be something like, I'm never going to get this book done because my life is too fucking crazy. I've got, I've got to go to soccer practice and I've got to take the kid to school Mm. and I've got to go to, you know, all these different things. Uh, and then the next day being like so enormously grateful, (laughs) you know, just being like content, uh, like lying in bed with my kids, watching a movie or whatever it is, you know, you have these like, and, and I'll just be like, wait, yesterday, I was catastrophizing <laughs> and today I'm like the, you know, the, the perfect picture of a content, you know, middle-aged father or whatever. And it's absurd. Yeah. It's absurd the way these things unfold. And I guess maybe the answer is to have some healthy mistrust of, of both, you know, like don't get too exact invested yeah. in either. Yeah, it it is a roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. I think we're with with ups and downs, and I what I what I tell myself time, sometimes is it's only one ride. <laughs> it's only one ride. I mean, I don't want to get to the end of it and say ah, I I didn't really enjoy it. Um, yeah, sometimes in the same day. Um, yeah, for example, I I wrote this morning. I had to to deliver a a, a column for for the newspaper and I felt great. Um, and after lunch, I, I was really feeling horrible. I don't know why. Um, and um, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's something, there's even some chemicals behind there. I mean, uh, some stuff with the brain. I don't know. But I suppose there are some things that I, I know for, for, for a fact, for example, that if I write, I feel good. Um, when I'm not writing, I feel horrible. I, I feel that I don't deserve my own life. Uh, I, I, there's no way of putting some order into this chaos, called complete chaos. Um, and I write just one page or half a page and things fall into place and things are okay. But when I'm not writing, I, write, I get really kind of toxic for everyone. 
and there's a there's a cloud over my or hanging over my head um and i suppose there's something about also uh, doing some exercise i mean having uh, going for a walk that's something else that kind of brings light um yeah i wish i could i could i could uh, kind of um have a drive over that and and control that but i can't i mean it's something we are we are in this roller coaster like um we are driven <laughs> completely by it um yeah i i don't i don't know how to do that i i, I don't know how to control that that's that those up, ups and downs i mean just enjoy when when you're in the the upper side <laughs> well okay i relate completely i was talking uh on the show with uh, another writer not too long ago, and we were comparing what we call our systems, you yeah. know, the systems of happiness that we've created for ourselves or that we figured out it, you know, th this is what we need to be functional, or at least that are, you know, close to at our best. And mm -hmm. it involves like meditating, doing some exercise, uh, you know, uh, talking with friends or having meaningful conversation, uh, writing, you know, all these different pieces that if we hit those, like I would argue, I would actually press back a little bit on what you just said is that I think you do know how to control it. I think it's a little bit of exercise and making sure you're writing. And if you do those things, then you are in yeah. control of it. But I think what you're lamenting is the fact that you need those things in the first place. And I sometimes wonder, because like just this morning, I'll, I'll give you an example of my bullshit <laughs> is... I'm like driving. I had I went to go get groceries early just so I could avoid crowds. Um, my wife and kids happened to be gone, so I slept like an unusually nice, peaceful. I had a peaceful morning, you know, like no. I had like all the pieces in place, but I did not exercise. I went to the grocery store to get some, you know, domestic stuff done, and as I was there, I got a, a group text from a bunch of like buddies of mine, male friends who I haven't seen in a long time, like old college friends. And there was talk of like a golf trip outing. <laughs> I don't, I don't play golf. And like, I don't have the money to be like going to play golf. I don't know. Golf is a plutocratic sport. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> you got to have a lot of time and money to be golfing regularly in my view. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I suddenly started to get really down on myself. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm just not the guy who can golf. And I was like, <laughs> I had this like operatic, like, you know, self denigrating mind um, experience as I'm grocery shopping. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, I came out of it and I was like, what the hell was that all about? And now I'm talking to you. But this stuff happens to me all the time. And I wonder, by comparison, if other people have a neurochemistry that is that leaves them not so susceptible to these ups and downs or is this the norm? Yeah. That's my question. Yeah, I think I think there's there's also some other tricks and that you mentioned um me meditating. Um I think that um this feeling of life being somewhere else, you know, that that that's something I I have to fight sometimes with. Um you are there buying some groceries and um the friends are talking about going golfing and life is somewhere else it would be better if i if i go to that trip etc and that that kind of um getting um or being far away from from where you are standing i think that what helps me to bring back myself into the the moment is 
is uh, poetry sometimes. Um, thinking about just, I could write a poem about this. I mean, if Allen Ginsberg could write a poem about the supermarket and saying that he sees Walt Whitman in the vegetables uh, around the, the supermarket, there must be a way of writing about this, uh, buying groceries this morning. Um, and uh, I, tr I try to do that. Like, how would it be, how would a poem about this stupid moment be like? Um, <laughs> without saying the word stupid, but I mean this kind of insignif uh, insignificant moment. Um, and uh, sometimes I manage to, to do that and I write something. Um, or sometimes I just think about it. It, it is just a question. Uh, but it helped me bring, kind of bring uh, myself back to, to the moment and, and get near um, of this, because life is really this. It's, it's, I mean, of course, the, the beautiful trip going golfing it must be beautiful, but you don't golf. Um, I mean, Donald Trump golfs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that alone is reason not to golf, in my view. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something about money and, and the idea of money that is always putting us there. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going it's all this kind of false future. Um, I'm going to earn some money and then I'm going to waste it with this. I'm going to buy, I buy, I'm going to buy this. And it's always that, that carrot in front of the donkey in a way. Um, and, uh, well, I, I hope. I hope my novel is about a guy who just realizes that uh, he 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 becomes a bit himself at the end, and he he's he's closer to uh, his own present uh, and his everyday life, and not dreaming about some other life that 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 will never happen in a way. Yeah, I think what you're talking about. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Ginsburg because. I went through like a pretty intense Ginsburg phase a few months ago. I talked to one of Alan's biographers and, uh, you know, I was just like really in that mode and really inspired by how like outrageously open he was, you know, with his mm -hmm. life on the page and how committed he was to his project of self-documentation and this kind of warts and all uh, approach to literature. You know, he would share everything, it seemed like, you know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you're describing, both in the, 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 I forget the name of the poem. There's the poem where he's at the supermarket. Uh, yes, I, I don't remember what, what the poem's name is. Yeah, but he mentions Walt Whitman uh, between the vegetables or something like that, or in the supermarket. I saw Walt Whitman, Walt Whitman in the supermarket, he says. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you when you or I or anyone finds themselves in one of those kind of gloomy mind states, self-critical, uh, life is elsewhere, I'm a failure, this isn't going the way I had planned, whatever it is, I think that what you're talking about when you when you talk about poetry, and I, I, I find this as well, you know, poetry is great this way, is that it's a mode of, att of careful attention. Med it's similar to meditation, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's all the same stuff in a, in a way. And I, I mentioned, too, this, uh, this notion of, like, getting curious about what's happening as opposed to being what's happening in my mind. <laughs> you know, I think all of it is of a piece. And as long as I do that, then I'm able to get a little bit of separation and I can kind of snap out of that trance. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It's just I think I just got to get better at catching myself. It's all a matter of it, – it's like a matter of intervals. You know, I'm getting better at catching myself more quickly than I used to. And hopefully yeah. I keep improving. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a kind of a, a small step aside – not going golfing, but just a very small step aside, kind of observing oneself or, or spying oneself and saying, uh, well, this is happening. Um, this is happening now. And um, the, um, the trick sometimes is for me is to really translate reality, if, 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 if we could say that word without, without a lot of... Uh, uh, how do you call these um, column um, scare quotes? <laughs> yeah, with, with without a lot of quotes, um, the idea of of translating reality into words or or the senses, the five senses, um, and just just kind of making a list of what you're seeing and um, you're waiting in in line, for example, and you start watching people's shoes or how people are dressed. Um, or what's happening there in that supposed uh, in that boring moment? Because we are always kind of trying to to get rid of the boring moments, and and here comes that the idea of the of the phone all the time, the phone uh, getting rid of the boring moments, um, and getting rid of experience in a way, because we we're not kind of experiencing experiencing things. We we just interpose uh, our phone between the what's happening in ourselves. No? We, we film this and we go to, we go to see our kids um, in a play and we put the, the, the phone between, uh, between the, um, what's happening in ourselves. And um, I think that I'm, I'm a bit erratic about this because I'm, I'm not very sure how I do it, but I try to really do a translation of, of, of the texture of living into words um, that of course sometimes comes out as a poem but it, it can be some moment too um, there's a moment in the novel when when Lucas is waiting in line in, at the bank for example and he sees something in, in a TV um, and that's something that I, I, those those are kind of exercises I do sometimes um, trying to translate um, meaningless moments of everyday life into words um, because I think that we we have to ask words to help us uh, see again and feel again um, and smell again I mean it's it's all about the five senses I think that words helps uh, help us um, see better um, if, if if you Try to translate exactly what you're seeing or what you're smelling or what you're feeling or, or the tastes of things or, or the sounds. Um, then, then you hear better and you smell better um, and you see better. Um, I'm rambling. No, I mean, I, I, uh, but I, 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 it resonates what you're saying. And I think, too, uh, thinking of that scene at the bank and the TV and these kind of small moments of life or thinking about me like slow walking through the grocery store yeah. um you know having this psychodrama play out that's the stuff of life this is happening yeah. to everybody and 
I think that writing, you know, not only does it help us if we go to literature regularly and we're reading regularly and we're exercising our minds in this way, I do think it helps us name our experiences and our surroundings better. I do think it, it you know, it, it enriches life in that way and yeah. deepens our experience of it. But it also illuminates these moments and these feelings and thoughts that go unspoken or unilluminated, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's been through that at the bank or at the grocery store. Something, you know, this weird juxtaposition of events yeah. where you're doing something as mundane as cashing a check or withdrawing some money, and yet, you know, you're worried about a sick parent, uh, and mm -hmm. you're, or you're contemplating your own mortality, or you're waiting for some test results from a doctor, you know, who knows what it is. But yeah. those two things happen all the time. <laughs> and do we talk about them all that much? Probably not. I think that's why we go to books. And that's kind of the, or at least part of the project of uh, being a writer is to bring those things out of the shadows and into the light. Um, I think too, about happiness. I think your book is concerned with it. I talked about this with salvation and happiness. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it's such a fundamental question. And it sounds sort of simple to say it, but it's not something that I think most of us spend enough time thinking about. Like, w what makes a person happy? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it the perfect marriage? Is it the perfect house and the golf club membership or whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think like it's, it's a, it's a deep question when you start to root around in it. And I think it can be very easy to trick ourselves into thinking that other people have the happiness that we want because they might have, uh, you know, experiences or material goods or life circumstances that we don't have. Uh, maybe that's a particularly American mode, but I'm sure it exists all over the place. Uh, if, if you live inside capitalism, um, it is that way. Um, the idea that having stuff um, makes you happy, but I think I think that um, it has to to do with what we talked about. Um, about doing things that make you happy. I mean, I think happiness is something that you build. Um, you build inside yourself. Um, it, it's not something that you have to go after. It is, and and I, I don't like the word happiness. I, I, I like kind of well-being or um, just um, being around uh, without suffering suffering in a way I, I don't I don't like the word happiness because it, it sounds a bit like uh, being high in a way yeah of course you have some moments that you are in this kind of uh, in, in in this kind of high thing without with without drugs but um, but I like the idea of kind of um, being okay or uh, just going going along with it and um, but realizing that it that it's very short that it, i mean that it, this is as i said only one only one one trip of the roller coaster uh, um really i i i don't have i i don't have answers for that but i think my character um kind of sees that light of the of the summer that last summer he he has in his brain with 
and the scenes with, with that girl in the beach. And that was his um, kind of uh, the, um, the fire inside him that, that, that made, him, made him go forward. And he, he wants to repeat that and he goes to Uruguay for the day and he wants to contact with that, with that again, that girl. And, um, and that's not there. <laughs> that's simply not there and she's in another kind of mode or moment or whatever um, and um, he realizes that it was all a ghost I mean a ghost that he built up uh, in his in his own brain she was a ghost in a way and also the city of Montevideo and the idea of Uruguay was also a ghost of an ideal city just um, that he made up through some videos. and um, So that happiness that he had in, in his head is simply, is simply something that it's not, it's not there and it was never there in the first place. Um, so he, he kind of, um, he bangs against the wall, he crashes against the wall, um, and... Um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I, I enjoyed. Uh, I, I I thought that the harder he 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 hits the wall, the better, <laughs> because I wanted him to to really get uh, shaken by by the experience in a way. Yeah, it's funny how we can idealize place. We can imagine that if we just get here, <laughs> things will be better. You know, like. It's very tempting to think like, wow, if I were just living in Paris right now or something, like maybe everything would be great. And or, you know, uh, people in um, who are struggling with addiction will often do this. Like, I just need to get out of the city and go live in the country where I can yep. be away from <laughs> these bad influences. And, you know, it does, never works like that because wherever you go, you bring your, yourself with you, you know, and it's, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. I think it's a big illusion that change of location is going to be. Um, you know, conclusive in terms of making things better. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, I relate cause I, but it's still, man, it's so, it's so hard to, to flip that switch and turn that off. It's very easy to just fall into daydreams about that sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, unhappiness g goes through, through customs, you know, um, with you. Um, they don't stop you and, <laughs> and, and take that away. Um, you take it everywhere. Um, yeah, I'm I'm living now in 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 Uruguay, um, and um, I wasn't I wasn't running after the the Uruguayan uh, woman or the woman from Uruguay. Um, I'm I'm living now. I've been living here for about seven months, more or less. Um, and um, yes, I, I, what you realize is that um, you just change problems um, when you do something like that. I mean, you change, you, you change your problems, which is always good, but um, you're the same person that you were on the other side. Um, and it's very good to realize that because people think that, um, yeah, if I move, if I, if I go to another city or if I had this, I, I would be, it, it would be better. It's always yourself, as you said. Yeah, no, it's like I struggle with that a little bit because we're raising our kids in Los Angeles, and I've talked about this for years and years. It's like, should we stay here? But where would we go if we left? And we can, we've can we never been able to to 
be decisive about it. And I think it's what we're talking about, that a change of location is not going to be a panacea. It's not going to fix everything. At the same time, I do think there are certain environments that are more conducive to a peaceful and happy life than others. You know, and there are certain environments that fit a person better than others. Some people are great fit in an urban environment. Some people are more yeah. likely to flourish in a more bucolic setting or whatever. And um, I think there's something to that. It's a, it's a matter of finding the equilibrium. You know, you don't want to, or I don't want to make decisions around stuff like that based on false pretenses. Um, mm -hmm. I also don't want to be the fool who stays in a place that isn't, in his best interest or in his family's best interest out of some uh, strange paralysis or fear. Do you see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's like, it's trying to navigate the tension between those two things. Exactly. Yes. Uh, it's always, always this impossible balance. It's, <laughs> it's an impossible balance and nobody has the answers to these things. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I just ma married a, uh, a, a wise person. That, that's what I did. <laughs> Good for you. I think it, it, it would. If it was for me, I would. I would always be exactly in the same spot and uh, going through um, the end of the world, just um, there. But um, I married something. Somebody who she has good intuition about um, when to move and when to make the move, etc. I, I just um, agree. You just go <laughs> go along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like when it comes to that sort of thing, like, uh, you know, so much of it has just got to do with uh, kind of uh, making the best of whatever situation you find yourself in. You know, like you make the decision, you live with it, you make the best of it. And I think you have a much better chance of being happy. I think too what you said about, you know, how your kids kind of destroy your life, <laughs> uh, or turn it upside down or however you want to put it. Um, when it comes to happiness, I think that maybe the under or like an undersold aspect of this, at least in the States is the notion that my happiness is directly related to your happiness and to the happiness mm -hmm. of others. And that if you want to be a happy person, be compassionate, be kind to others, work, make part of your life's work, trying to serve other people and make them happy. Mm -hmm. And that gets lost in the shuffle too much. Um, because I think it really is true. I think it really does deliver the goods and there is something counterintuitive about it, especially in like a capitalist mindset that service or careful attention to the needs of others, maybe even at the expense of your own, could actually be the thing that brings you out of misery <laughs> or, or at yeah. least like a, you know, kind of a, a mild on way. Yeah. The, the idea of just being nice, you know, um, one of the things that was, was happening in, in Buenos Aires to me is that, um, I was myself, uh, stopping to being nice to people because everybody was completely, um, angry about everything and uh, you could feel in just in every corner it was kind of a two cars defying each other who 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 went who crossed first and it, there were little wars uh, all over the place you know and 
And uh, I, I realized that um, I was starting to, to be very angry too. And um, the idea of um, being nice to, to other people, we, you know, in a way we moved um, not so much about because of Argentina and the situation in Argentina, but because of the big city. The big city was really starting to get into our nerves and on, on our nerves. And, and we were starting to be uh, being people that we didn't like <laughs> ourselves. Um, it was it, it was I'm, I'm not quite um, grasping it, but I'm, I'm starting to realizing that now. But um, yeah, there's 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 also a sense of community and um, about what, what you're saying, no, the, the idea of helping others. Um, yeah. I don't know what 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 it what it is going to be like to to live here in another country, but um, but certainly th there was something about just um, being a bit calmer. Is it though? Uh, is it has Montevideo yeah. been calmer? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. It is it is it is a smaller city to start with, and uh, than Buenos Aires, and um, because there are less people, it is a bit more organized and. Um, well, we'll see because I, it's not that we we are going to live here forever. I mean, we're planning to stay for a couple of years, and if we like it, we'll stay. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit and, and talk some more about uh, the sp like the spoken word quality, the intimacy of the voice of the book. I, I didn't get to this earlier, and I I just want to deal with it a little bit because I find as a reader that I tend to respond more to writing or feel a greater energy in writing that carries this quality. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a podcast, so I obviously like conversational tone and, and the spoken, uh, you know, the spoken language. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's a human quality that's hard to, uh, get right on the page. But when it happens, I feel like I'm more likely to be absorbed by what I'm reading. Uh, and I think that, you know, there are, there is quote unquote literary writing or a more like a more formal voice that if it's executed well, can bring me right in. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it'll leave me feeling alienated. Uh, it'll put me at a remove from the story or I'm noticing too much the style, um, you know, and I don't feel like there's a person there. <laughs> I think yeah. that's, that's what I'm always going. That. I'm going to literature for that. I'm going to anything for that. I'm going to this podcast for that. I, I just want to connect with a, a person. I want to feel like there's yeah. a human being on the other end of the line. Uh, yeah. And I felt that with, with your book. And, you know, you said that you wrote quickly. Uh, once you finally got down to the business of writing this book, uh, I, I guess I want to talk to you a little bit about the craft of imbuing your prose with that spoken quality and that human energy, um, that makes mm. it really feel personal, um, and human on the page. Well, I have to get, uh, almost full credit to to the translator to to Jenny Croft because um, she did an excellent work um, managing to to 
to deliver that that tone, the, the that spoken quality of, of the character. I, I would never know how to do that in English. Uh, she's she's a great translator. Um, in Spanish, I try to do that um, by not letting literature stand in the way. Um, that's I think what 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 you were talking about when when you said that sometimes you read and you don't feel that there's a human energy there. Um, and um, I think that this is very something very definite about um, the style of of of, of uh, each person, each person's style. Um, you, and on one side, you you want to write like the big writers you you've read, the big literature. On the others, on the other side. Um, there's the way you would explain something to a friend of yours. And uh, what you end up writing is um, somewhere in the middle. Some people go more towards the literary aspect and some people go more towards the spoken uh, to a friend style. Um, that's what, what, what defines the style of, of, of each person in a way. Um, I try to go near the spoken, the, the spoken energy, um, the, the, the spoken, the spoken word, I mean, words that are, are alive in a way. I think that language has, has a, a very strange quality of maintaining itself alive all the time. That's why, why it evolves and, uh, it changes because it needs to stay alive and to, to, to be funny again and to, to, uh, seduce and to lie and to convince, so it's always kind of sharpening itself. Um, that's what language is all, all the time doing. And when a metaphor gets old, it doesn't work anymore, it's not funny anymore, so somebody finds another way of saying things, and, and it, it, that's why it evolves. And I think that if you can manage to, to put your, your writing near that energy, um, you, ma you, you, you manage to write something that, that has kind of a um, a sparkle of life in it, um, because language is alive. And so, um, when you talk about writing quickly, uh, how much of the story did you have fleshed out in your mind, or did you do an outline? I'm always curious when a when a book kind of flows, as you said, out of a person in relatively short order. How um, much plotting is there, or how much of it is just like a really like hot streak of writing where, you know, your intuition is serving you really well and the thing is just unfolding in your mind on a day-to-day -day basis. I think I, I had the book in my mind when I realized that it was all happening in one day. Um, that's what really um, made me daydream uh, the, the, whole, the whole plot quite quickly. I, I think I made a list of things that weren't going to happen uh, th that were going to happen, but um, and I I had very clear in my mind that it started when he woke up be beside his his wife and kid, and it, w it was going to end when he was back this this day trip and completely change or destroyed or whatever. Um, so it was it was a there there was something about the day structure that really helped me. 
Um, and uh, I knew that in that day, oh, the whole life was uh, permitted in a way. I mean, I could do flashbacks and flash forwards. As long as I, as, as I went back afterwards to the rhythm of the trip, uh, the day trip, Oh, he he takes uh, his car, then he takes a boat, and he, then he takes a, a bus, and then he arrives. And between that, he can remember stuff and and uh, go in a kind of a big flashback, uh, like a trumpet solo. <laughs> but he has to go back to the main melody in a way. The main melody uh, of the book is the, the that that day. Um, so. I think I had the intuition of of the book in my head, but then I, I don't realize how it it's going to work and or what exactly is the tone or the or the rhythm exactly uh, uh, until I, I I start writing. Mm. Um, but I, I knew it was it was kind of a slow pace uh, because uh, I had to I had to be I had to find details of, of about that day. Because that that was going to be the pace, the 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 speed. It was going to be slow. I mean, um, the whole life was going to get in that day, but it was the story of a day, um, and it was going to be kind of a Groundhog Day thing, with, with a guy remembering and repeating the same day and trying to understand what happened to him that day. Uh, there was something about um, kind of magnifying some moments. Where he just went when you just go through life um, whole, uh, in full speed, but you then you kind of stop and you try to to think what happened there, what what happened exactly there when this was there was this song sounding in the radio, playing in the radio, and um, I was speaking to someone. So um, it is the story of a of a day, but it's a story also of a guy remembering and repeating and trying to realize what happened that day. Mm. Yeah. And I think a couple of things come to mind. Um, first of all is, you know, when we were talking about the voice of the book and how you lean more towards the spoken, you know, I've not only heard this in conversations that I've had with writers on this show, but I've experienced it in my own life is like when you're not writing for the page, whether you're writing some sort of more informal blog post or you're writing, especially I think in an email to a friend or a letter to a friend, how you can find yourself being like, I wish I could just write like that <laughs> all yeah, the time. Exactly. I, like even yeah. friends will tell you like, wow, this is really great. You're the, you know, you should write like this. And I think it's trying to get yourself loose enough um, or to find a way to kind of approximate that in more literary efforts and then the other thing that strikes me, uh, and I've been saying this to myself a lot lately and to others, is that when it comes to plotting a novel, uh, like having a what I call it the vessel, like a, it, like once you have like a, and it has to do with time especially, once you have a sense of the the vessel, the the container for the book, and in, in the case exactly. of your novel, it's like mm -hmm. that one day. I think it, when you said that that was sort of the 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 linchpin of the creative process for you is like once you had that in your head everything started to click into place because you sort of you knew what you were working towards you had a sense of the entire shape of the thing um and it's worth remembering uh 
how how much um or how critical it is to just have a sense of the the time span of the story that you're trying to tell again it sounds yeah. elemental but it's one of those things that can be very easy to overlook when you're sort of struggling creatively to get your your uh you know wrap your head around what you're doing yeah the the vessel is very very important i i I I didn't use that 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 word. Uh, I I think it's very accurate. It's very good. I I call it sometimes a frame, um, but the the word vessel is is better because um, if not, it's kind of um, standing in the desert. There's no limit. There's no. I mean, everything can go in the novel, but that means that also everything is kind of meaningless. Also. Um, because anything can go in, anything can can go out. Um, so when you find a frame, you find a vessel, um, you're in continuously um, kind of stepping there or touching that. It's like a touch ground or somewhere where when you can you can uh, you can play from there. Um, in a way, it's difficult to to explain because um, the idea of the novel is always kind of a, a, a trash can where everything can fall in. Um, you could write a, a, a thousand novel um, uh, page, um, a, th- a thousand page novel, but if it doesn't have a, a vessel, then it, it has no structure at all. Um, well, I'm thinking of now. I'm thinking of Ulysses since it was Bloom's Day yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. It's one day. There it is. It, it all it all happens in one day. I think that that's what gave Joyce the structure for that. I mean, um, the whole universe goes into that uh, into that day, and he can make an experiment in each uh, chapter. Just goes all over the place. Um, he goes into the past of, of Ireland and uh, etc. He goes all over the place in the life of, of these characters. Um, but it's the day what the thing that keeps him um, in place in a way and keeps the novel in place. Um, if it, he, he, he tries to reproduce one day in the life of Dublin. Um, I think if, if he would have made that into a, a week, for example, or a month, it would all fall apart, apart, I think. Mm, well, I think, too, I think what we're talking about is um, limitations, having a sense yeah. of your own limitations and giving yourself some ground rules, essentially. Um, uh, they, they make you free. That, that, that's the interesting thing. That limitations make you free. Right. Uh, on the contrary, what people tend to think uh, on the opposite, that limitations uh, um, just uh, oppress you and... and but we're talking about literature here, no? Um, but in literature, in the process, in the creative process, limitations are quite. Um, um, what's the word for that? Um, um, stimulating, in a way. Yeah. No. I mean, I think like for some reason, I was just thinking of horror movies. There is this uh, prevailing wisdom in Hollywood about how you know, horror movies that all take place in one location. It has to do with cost too, you know. Uh, this is just one ex- <laughs> one example. But, you know, it's like easy yeah. to make these movies because they're cheaply made. You have one setting uh, or set essentially. Everything's happening there. 
um, like what's that movie? Like the cabin in the woods, you know, that, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the title, the title says it all, you know, like you're not yeah. going anywhere else, you know, you're going to be in that cabin in the woods. And, um, once you know that though, it's like, okay, well, here's, here's where I am. And this is the, this is the, uh, the boundaries that I've created for myself. And then you have, like you said, uh, like this ironic, like liber, uh, liberating effect that happens where you feel the sense of freedom within that, as opposed to sitting there staring at the blank page, with absolutely no <laughs> boundaries at all. And exactly. that's too yeah. much responsibility. You're like, what the hell? I mean, if everything can go in here, then, uh, you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to finish anything. So it's a necessity. Um, I want to ask you, uh, you know, uh, before I let you go more about your biography and how you mm -hmm. got, got into this racket. Um, can you <laughs> tell me a little bit about like where you grew up and, how you grew up and like how you came to books and writing? Well, um, I'm, I'm the third. Uh, um, I have two sisters, two elder sisters. Um, my father uh, was a, a lawyer and my mother uh, made, um, how do you call um social worker, a social worker. Mm -hmm. um, she, she worked with, with homeless people. So basically, um, my mother taught me to trust people and my father taught me to <laughs> not trust people. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm a big uh, salad, uh, as, uh, as we, we all are. Um, I grew up in, in, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. Uh, I went to an English school. So this funny accent I have uh, belongs to, to that. Um, and um wait wait what, may i ask why why did you go to an yeah. english school because my father also did and um he found that uh, it was a a good upbringing in a way a good education and um he, it wasn't the same school as him but uh because he went to a boarding school and my mother didn't want me to go to a boarding school i still thank her for that um and uh, I went to a school that I, I, it was English, but I, I went in the morning and I left in the afternoon. There, it was also the Spanish part in there, too. It was, it was a, a very good school, but I don't know it, if it was exactly for me because it, were, it was very sporty. Uh, there was a lot of importance in sports and I was a complete wimp. Um, but there was something of, of an anti-hero in me that grew there. Um, just um, thinking of a way of uh, of uh, having a comeback or a, a revenge against uh, bullies, and I, I think I think that there's a part of me of my writing that it's that uh, a, a long revenge <laughs> against against bullies and and kind of sporty uh, track guys. Um, and then I started, uh, I, I thought I wanted to start uh, to study medicine when I finished school. And I failed completely um, just in the first year. The, the sciences completely um, destroyed me, maths and biology and, um, and science. And, um, but I didn't dare say uh, 
back home that I, I couldn't confess that I was failing. So I went to the, the cafeteria every, every, every morning uh, in the university. I thought it was less of a lie if I went to a university, but I just went to the cafeteria and I started reading there a lot and I started doing my own writing. Um, and then I realized that I wanted to study literature but I didn't know how to say that because with the kind of big father figure of the lawyer. And uh, so you remember that film um, where that was called The Dead Poet Society? Sure, yeah. Um, there was a kid that committed suicide because they didn't let him study theater. So I told my parents, um, it is very important for me that you go and see this movie. And they went and I remember them when they came back from the cinema and they were pale and saying of course you have to study whatever you want so it was it was a horrible trick but it worked <laughs> uh, and um, I started uh, I started studying literature um, the next year um, and and I started going to a, a, a writer's workshop uh, in a parallel way because the the um, the literature um, studies make you turn you into a, a good reader, but not necessarily into a writer. So I went to a, a workshop uh, by by myself, um, and it was very good because it was something parallel to to, to the reading part. Um, and I started writing poems and short stories and. And and then I send um, my first novel to um, how do you call these things uh, when when there's a lot of novels um, competing? How do you call that? A, con um, a contest or a contest, a literary contest, and and my novel won. That was in '98. Um, and and um, well, that, that's how I I started writing in a way. Um, and um, I think I owe I, so I I owe a lot to to the literature career, of course, the, the the studies. But I think I owe even more to that workshop uh, where I, I even I even met my 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 wife there. Um, we were friends for a long time, um, and now we're still friends. But we're married to and we're in love. Um, but uh, that 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 uh, that workshop was very important, very important for me. Uh, very kind of, um, I, I I learned a lot of things, I, and I learned not about only about the the teacher there, but the group, listening to to other people write and 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 read what what they wrote and discussing things, and um, I still have with me that kind of idea of the group thinking things. It's like I, I, I brought the, the group into me and um, when there's some subject or something, I, I can sometimes imagine what we would, would have said in those times mm. between everyone. So it was, it was very, very important for me that, that workshop, that writing workshop. Okay, that's fascinating. Like, first of all, I think, you know, a workshop environment a community of people who are also trying to write versus the, you know, the, the literary course of study that you're doing uh, academically. It's like the difference between like reading a cookbook and actually cooking. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, or like, being crazy and, and, and studying um, psychology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think too, and this is where I often fail in writing um, more than I would like, is in this notion of writing as uh, a communication. I think back to my own workshop experience, like especially maybe the very first workshop I ever did where I submitted something that didn't land and it was very instructive. Uh, yeah. I was trying to be experimental on the page in the way of like a pre pretentious young guy, you know, thinking I was doing all this cool stuff and people were like, what are you doing? It was like a distraction and I wasn't communicating with anybody. And I think that great writers and works of literature that connect do so because they are very sensitive to the needs of the reader. Uh, mm -hmm. They are operating in service of the reader as opposed to in service of the author's emotional need to express himself or herself. Yeah. That line is tricky for me. I think sometimes I fail to um, be of service to the reader enough. I guess that everybody who's writing something that's not quite working is in that situation. But it, that's the way I that's the way I sort of define it to myself. Like when a piece of writing connects and when a writer succeeds consistently, I think it's because they have an innate or intuitive sense of the person at the other end of the experience. Yeah. Um, they're, they're very finely attuned that way. And it might not be something that they have crystallized in their mind. Even it could be a very, uh, it could be a, a intuition. Maybe what I'm talking about here is talent. Like people who are really no, talented but... have that sense, but I feel like, um, you know, getting to that place where you really have a sense of the reader experience along with the writer experiences, mm -hmm. it, that's the battle. Yeah, kind of um, being able to to put yourself in the in the other in the other end of of, of the line in a way of uh, what's going to happen with with that text, what that what 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 you're writing. Um, you 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 said the word. Um, Communicating, I, I think it's all about that. I mean, um, you have to communicate, um, and and of course, what what would probably happen with with a very pretentious um, piece of writing when 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 one is uh, in 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 his twenties and you go with a kind of pretentious thing to a, a group and nobody understands, and what you realize there is that you're not communicating, basically. And that you have to communicate, and of course it, that doesn't mean that you have to be basic and simple, and uh, but um, that if you can do something complex, but always trying to be understood in in, in the in the other end, um, and um, that's just um, that happens in a lot of things in everyday life. I mean, uh, doing this podcast, for example, we are communicating. Um, there's a, a, a lot of places where I feel as, as I'm working as a, as, a, as a person who communicates. I mean, I'm a writer, but I also I, I, I write scripts sometimes or, or, uh, for TV or for cinema. And uh, you're communi communicating there, too. I, when I do some radio, you're communicating there or some, some, some column for the newspaper. I use words to communicate in Spanish. I'm a bit better than in English that I feel kind of clumsy in with, with English, but, 
um, I think we are always communicating and that uh, and being able to communicate is yeah standing in 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 in, in the shoes of the person who is listening uh, without patronizing because that's also kind of difficult sometimes when you you start kind of patronizing or thinking that the other people is not going to understand and um, so there's also again there a kind of balance um, of putting in uh, standing in somewhere someone else's shoes um, but also um, not underestimating the other person mm. oh? well and I think too like on a related note uh, this workshop that you participated in as a student and which continues to serve you like all these years later, you know, it, you know, you, you were saying that you can imagine as you're working on a piece of writing, how the group might respond. Like, mm -hmm. it sounds to me like maybe the, the most important thing that you derive from that experience is that it gave you a refined sense of community of how to communicate and how to write for an audience. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that, even if it's in your imagination, you have a very strong sense of how they might respond to your work and it helps you self edit. It helps you again, refine your work and make sure that it's connecting. And maybe, yeah. maybe the lesson here is that like finding a good writing workshop or a good writing group, like a group of like-minded people to share your work with is a worthy exercise at any stage. Yes, absolutely, and and um, it, it's interesting that that you 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 say um, the 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 idea of audience because because I think that um, one of the things that I I, I missed um, mentioning about the the style uh, that I, I attempted in the novel is this kind of little moments that sound a bit like stand up comedy, um, little moments when when the character is kind of angry and. And, uh, and and speaking about, um, for example, doctors or or when he thinks about money, um, there is this little kind of uh, almost like bits. Um, and I feel that, yeah, I, I, I learned how to do that in, in that workshop um, where you you got you, it wasn't trying to get a laugh, but um, you you try to get a smile from the other ones, from the readers, a little smile of, yeah, I can relate to that. And I understand that it's not laughing out loud. It, if, if it is, it's welcome, but getting a kind of a smile from, from, from the, the readers or the idea of audience. I, I like that. I think too, when you have a good editor or a good group of peers who are giving feedback, what they're often great at doing is very quickly pointing out whatever you're resisting. It's so it's amazing to me how easily I can trick myself into being like, nah, I don't want to. I'll, you can kind of write around. <laughs> you can write around pain. You can write around, you know, difficult um, emotional terrain, like however it might materialize. But writers often do that. I often do that, and then you'll hand it over to somebody who's an astute reader and who might know you a little bit and they'll, they'll immediately zero in yeah, on, exactly. on that. Place. And you hate them. You yeah. Know, oh no, I knew, I knew that. I knew that. Why didn't I, I, I corrected myself. Yeah. It is very important to show, show the stuff you're, you're working. Um, sometimes 
I have to show my stuff when it's finished because I'm very vulnerable when I, when I'm writing I'm still writing it. Uh, but I really need I really need uh, the the that 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 feedback um, the comments and and it's not always from people who are from the kind of literary group. Uh, the, it come it, it may be someone who is not a very freak a frequent reader um just common sense you know i really appreciate common sense um, um yeah it, it is it is always gold to to hear what what some things somebody has to say about um a manuscript or or, or a, a book you're kind of finishing or you've just finished because uh, you don't really know what you did I, I don't know I don't know what I did um, what I what I, what what I really managed to do um, because I still have the ideas of what I wanted to do so what the person sees when when he's reading um, is what you managed to do <laughs> yeah. and it's very important to to listen what what they have to say and I think that w- w- workshops writing workshops are play are a place where you learn how to listen uh you learn how to listen and on once you learn how to listen and you you kind of um put down your own paper and your own anxiety of oh, i just want to read my piece and just uh go home and and you and you start listening to others and and thinking about your own writing through the other people's writing and that that's where the group starts working in a very kind of unique way um and the teacher is not that important uh it's the the group that starts kind of working in a real um in a real kind of um place but also as i said in your own brain afterwards because it's a a way of thinking i think too you know you said common sense you know you respond so well to common sense like that sort of squares with my experience, you know, getting feedback in a workshop setting or from an agent or an editor is that a good note on a manuscript is almost always self-evident. Like as soon as you hear it, you go, oh, you know, it's very rarely, I mean, sometimes there's arguments, like sometimes you might have a little pushback or you might disagree with the note. But what I find more often than not is that when somebody spots an error, I'm just grateful. (laughs) I'm like, thank God. You know, it's very obvious that they're right uh, about it. And the, you know, the evidence kind of feels like it's all there. You know, it's it's, uh, self-evident and and common sense. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. I want to talk to you, you know, we're sort of getting into process because it sounds like you go through the writing and the drafting phase and then you have people read. But just like on a day-to-day process level like do you are you a very ritualized writer are you working every day or do you work in spurts you know where you're kind of 15 16 hours a day kind of getting a book done in two or three months like how does it look for you with each with each book it's completely different really um i'm i'm not a very uh focused person um i'm doing a uh, hundred things uh, at the same time. Um, now that I'm 50, really, I have to work in the mornings. Um, if I if I if I start writing in the night, um, then I, I, I generally I can't I cannot sleep afterwards. I try to sleep, and, and my brain is uh, kind of 
uh, caught into this kind of syntax or phrases <laughs> um, and I, I can't uh, get some rest. So I have to generally I write in the morning when I'm I'm fresh um, some uh, something uh, a thing I do sometimes is um, I disconnect the Wi-Fi uh, at least in my computer um, and I put a paper beside the computer beside the computer where I call it the list of don't bother me now because I'm writing and my brain says um, you should connect now to just look for that specific word or that that plays in the map or whatever. And this this constant uh, constant um, kind of urge of distraction and of, of uh, going through social media. And um, so I write down in in, in that paper. Uh, look for this or uh, send this email to such and such. So it's. Afterwards, after two hours, um, and I, I I connect again, maybe of a list of 10 things, I only look for two or three. The rest were just my own mob, you know, the mob of my brain trying to distract me. Um, so that, that's something I do sometimes, but I don't. I don't sit down really uh, and work for a lot of hours until I I really have kind of the feeling of the book and the the almost the energy of the story drives me or drags me behind. Um, I'm not a kind of a will person that uh, I'm going to write a novel without wanting to write it for 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 half a year or, or for a whole year. I I. I really have to like the story, and um, there's have to be, there has to be a, a drive, and it's a bit of an external drive in a way because uh, it pulls me, it, it pulls me to do it. Um, so I, I really don't have many, many rituals. Um, that's that that's the truth. I, I have to kind of make the time for each book. And put aside things, and when I finally want to write that book, I kind of um, I put aside mountains. I don't know how to do uh, how, how I do that, but I do it. Um, well, how and how else do you get a book done? You kind of have to, you, you know. Once again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have no choice. You uh, have to put put yeah, yeah. Well, I want to ask you because uh, you know I think it's a saner way to do it getting to the place where the book sort of drives you, you know, and it's, it's kind of coalesced in your mind, at least to the point where, you know, you have a strong feel for the, the broad outline of the thing and maybe have a sense of why you're writing it, you know, what the major themes are or something like that. But I, I want to know a little bit more about how you arrive at that place. You know, there must be m mental work that you're doing in your downtime or when you're doing other things where you're sort of playing with ideas yeah. or building the story in your mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is, what is that yeah. part of the creative process look like for you? Well, um, I think that I have to be available. I have to be available for, for, <laughs> for the ideas in a way. Um, there's kind of an openness. 
uh, and I'm 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 dotting down some ideas. I have my scrapbooks and my copybooks, and I, I I put down some ideas. And but this this kind of um, I don't know if the word exists in English. Roaming. What, what do cows do when they chew? What's the verb for that? Oh, I mean chew. They chew their cud, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of chewing and rechewing, you yeah, know? yeah, chewing an an, an idea, you know. Um, yeah, it. Um, so I try to be available, and when I when I say that I'm available for ideas, is that um, I do this thing that I said a while ago of kind of stepping aside and looking at myself and saying, oh, this this might be good to, to write. No? For example, I find that there's two emotions that are really great creators of stories. For example, um, uh, that that is desire, and 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 um, and being afraid. Both, I mean, when 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 you're catched up in desire and you're imagining, uh, if I send a message and I go and you know all this great film film that, you, that is happening in your brain and if you step aside of yourself and you say I, I've been daydreaming this whole story for about 10 minutes there might be something there and the same thing with with uh, fear fear is always kind of producing stories in your head too um, and uh, sometimes you are also daydreaming this whole situation of panic and what would happen if, uh, and that's also where the kind of the step aside comes and and just observing that I've been producing this story in my head for 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 the last ten minutes. So sometimes I I just um, put down in a few words those ideas, um, and of course when characters have clear. Um, their desire or their their fear, their fear, they become very clear um, characters in a way. They're kind of easily understood. Um, and uh, so I have I have my my notes, but I I don't really go back to them very much. It's just a way of um, putting something in, into words and not losing it. But um, there's some kind of mechanics that in my brain that once I wrote it down, it kind of stays with me. Uh, I don't trust memory. I don't trust memory. That idea of that I'm, I'm going to remember this, that doesn't work. Um, sometimes I, I put down also in, in words uh, things I hear or some phrasing. So somebody says something in a, in a quite um, kind of very good way or interesting way of phrasing something. In the street, um, I put that down, um, and uh, that's about that's about it. I mean, um, I don't know if the if it the word um, being available sounds logical, but it's um, a way of being being aware or being uh, being there for the, for for the ideas. And then at some point, these ideas, you you reach a kind of critical mass, like it, they they've had enough time to incubate they've also yeah there's also enough of them you know you have a, a bunch of them and you're starting to see connections and that's the that's the creative momentum that you're talking about that eventually pushes you to the mm -hmm. keyboard 
exactly you you have to sit down at some moment and and um and just um be there and just um just just write um because you can't stand it anymore because uh, i mean taking notes forever it's horrible um because you feel you feel that it's something kind of building up and building up and building up but you're not really building um and then comes this horrible moment when things get so different from what you imagined. <laughs> <laughs> you had a beautiful dream that you were dancing and then you have to dance for real. Um, and uh, I think writing is a bit uh, standing that, that, uh, that feeling, um, going through that feeling and, and realizing that it's going to be something different, but it, it is going to exist. Because if you don't put it down in words, it won't exist forever. And uh, um, we are all geniuses um, inside our heads, but you, you have to you have to try to do that outside your head. Um, and um, it it can be really frustra- frustrating, but but at the same time, that's the adventure of writing. That uh, something happens that you you didn't imagine or you, you, you it wasn't planned in that way. And you, you get surprised of of uh, of your own of of how the story goes by by its own because it starts getting kind of being alive. Um, if you try to control it all and try to make it exactly as you imagined it, um, then you, you kind of choke it. You have to leave it. You start writing it. You have something planned, but language by itself starts kind of writing its own rules. And the story starts going to a place where you didn't exactly imagine, but that is what makes the story alive, um, because it starts kind of breathing its own its own movement. It's, it's kind of a slow animal that starts kind of moving forward. Um, so it's all about control and not controlling. Uh, again, the, this idea of balance: um, just let the story be and see where it takes you. Um, and you cannot have everything controlled from from uh, beforehand. It's impossible. Andy, you know, I think what you're talking about too is having the good sense to know when, uh, you know, the story kind of, like you say, starts breathing on its own or moving on its own, and you might be landing on ideas that exceed your imagination. You know, it's like it's like <laughs> knowing when to recognize a good idea as it comes along, you know, and not resisting it simply because it diverges from your original conception. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that, that's the good part of writing. And that's the interesting part of it, right? the, the, the fact that it will diverge. And, um, and uh, that's the adventure of writing. If not, we wouldn't really do it. If it, if it's something that exactly what you imagined, I mean, what's the difference of imagining it? Um, so that's the, the, the nice part of the interesting part of, of writing, uh, that, that part that you don't, you don't, you don't really control. So are, what are you working on these days? Are you uh, working on a book or TV project or what? I, I'm writing on a, uh, I'm, I'm working on a, uh, kind of short stories of, um, of, um, love, um, uh, dash sex, um, uh, and uh, stories of couples and um, just people just um, being horrible. 
and um, those are the columns that I'm writing for the newspaper, that, but it's going to become a book. And I'm I'm starting to work in something that I find it very uh, challenging. That is uh, um, writing lyrics for musicians that send send me melodies and the kind of la 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 thing, you know, uh, a melody kind of sung without without real words. And I I put words uh, to the, to those. That's really interesting. It's uh, something completely new for me, uh, and it's wonderful because. When you listen to the result of the musician singing your lyrics, it's beautiful. Uh, do you, who are the musicians? Can we listen to anything you've uh, done? No, no. The, this is only starting now, and I hope the, the, the things get recorded. I realize that in the music world, there's, it, it's a bit like in cinema, where there's a lot of scripts going around and only a few get filmed. And in music, this happens too. There's a lot of songs going around, and the ones that finally get recorded are just a few. But um, yeah, I I I I have a, a kind of a duet with a friend of mine who is a musician, and uh, and the song is called La Tormentosa. Uh, that that is in Spotify. Um, that's the the only one that is in Spotify. Ah, and and also a rap um, for kids that it's called El Rap de los Gatos. It's kind of the, the cat, um, the rap for the rap of the cats or something like that. It's a song for kids. I'm, I'm writing songs for kids too. And that's really, really, um, that's the big challenge. I was going to say, that's a different mode than the woman yeah. from Uruguay, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is completely, completely different. Yeah. Um, they're the most difficult audience in the world, the kids. Yeah, they'll tell you when it's working. Yeah, they'll tell you exactly what they think. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pedro, I uh, I have so enjoyed talking with you. I loved your novel. And uh, kudos again. To, I think it's Jennifer Croft, correct? The translator? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're exactly. in good good hands with her. She did a wonderful job on the translation. And uh, I have to imagine this is going to, you know, this book is going to win you some, some fans uh, up here in the States and in North America. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you so much, Brad. Thank you very much. And uh, okay, uh, a big, a big uh, hello for everyone who's listening. All right, there you have it. That is Pedro Mayral, and his new novel, The Woman from Uruguay, is available in translation from Bloomsbury. It was translated by Jennifer Croft. You can find Pedro online at pedromayral.com. He's on Twitter. His handle over there is at Marao Pedro, and he's also on Instagram. Track him down. Once again, the novel is called The Woman from Uruguay, available from Bloomsbury. Go get your copy right now. The Other People podcast is offered freely every single episode. The entire archive of this show is made available to you for free. It's a listener-supported show. If you like this program, if you listen regularly and you get something from it and you have the means... I hope you'll consider supporting the show. You can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod, patreon.com slash otherpplpod for as little as $1 a month. You can support this show, tip your server. There are different tiers, different levels of support as you, you know, as you go up the scale, you can get stuff. You can get a tote bag, coffee mug, t-shirt, sticker. I will write you a postcard. I will wish you a happy birthday with a voice message it's very uh 
user-friendly. Pa- uh, Patreon.com slash otherpplpod. The Other People Podcast also has its own official app, the Other People with Brad Listy app. It, too, is free. Go get the app wherever apps are available. If you would like to write to me, the email address for the show is letters at otherppl.com. This podcast is also now available on YouTube. It's got a YouTube channel. The Other People with Brad Listy podcast is on YouTube. Check it out. Every single episode is there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have a second and you want to help the cause, you can review the show. Rate and review the show at Apple Podcasts or wherever the podcast lives. Stitcher, you name it. Reviews help. It helps other people find the show algorithmically. So I'd appreciate that. Otherwise, 